this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out with us here for a few minutes to talk about all things human and organizational performance. And we have an absolute treat for you. But before we get to that, do me a favor, head over to the website www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media. LinkedIn is the easiest way to find me. Just go look up Sam Goodman. You'll find my ugly mug. Click that little follow button and you'll get all kinds of hop stuff right there to your desktop. I've been posting a bunch of stuff, jump into a bunch of conversations over there. And if you need help with anything, human and organization performance, learning teams, coaching, consulting, all that kind of sort of stuff, head over to the website. Again, it's thehopnerd.com. We also have merch from the podcast and all kinds of other funny safety merch and all kinds of cool stuff you can find the podcast over there and free video resources and just just a ton of stuff if you're looking for a little bit of help with human and organizational performance or just doing kind of safety better and it's not just safety as we talk about all the time human and organizational performance goes so much farther so much wider than just safety safety is just a small piece of it and if you're just using these concepts around here big air quotes safety stuff then you're not really maximizing your investment into what human and organization performance can bring to your organization. Just absolutely powerful ideas and concepts. And make sure that you check out the book. Wait a second. What I was going to say, what I was going to say is you can go to the website. You can click this little thing that says book some time and you can get like some time on my calendar and we can talk about what you're looking for around human and organizational performance and see if I can help you a little bit. And if I can't, I can point you in the direction of a lot of other amazing hot practitioners that probably can help you if they're better suited to what you've got going on over there. Or you can just send me an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com. So with all of that out of the way, wait, 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 one more thing. I was going to talk about 10 ideas to make safety suck less. You can check out the10ideas.com if you want to learn more about the book. And it's available on Amazon and Audible. So if you want to listen to me talk for like five hours or something, you can do that because I narrated it. And if you're more into like getting a hard copy, you can go do that too. Or if you're wacky like me, I do both. I'll get the audiobook and the hard copy because that's just the kind of crazy person that I am when it comes to trying to learn and understand and dig deep into the stuff that people write out there. So all that's out of the way. All that's out of the way. The treat that I have for you today is the amazing, the awesome, the near and dear friend of mine and someone that I look up to in so many ways, Clive Lloyd. Clive has a great book out there as well. Make sure you check that out. You can find out all kinds of stuff about Clive on LinkedIn. He does consulting, just all kinds of amazing stuff Clive has going on. And I'm just going to shut up because we talk about all that stuff too in the podcast and just jump right in. So here we go. Clive Lloyd, everybody. So Welcome back, Clive. I think this is number three. I think it's number three. Number three. It is number yeah. number yeah. three. And so I've got to tell you, being um, number three, it's been number one. It's been too long. Which it's, it's been too long. You and I interact a bunch online, which is so I always feel like we're connected in one way or another. But it's been too long that we've got a chance to actually sit down and talk, and we're just kind of catching up before. And you know, our schedules were kind of all over the place here and there, and so we finally got the stars to align where we're going to get a few minutes to sit down and catch up. So um, before we do that, for folks that might have not listened to the past couple episodes that we did together, you mind telling folks who you are, what you do, all that kind of cool stuff? 
Absolutely. So I'll, I'll keep it short, Sam, so we can get into the meaty stuff. I'm yeah. curious to see where we go today. So look, I'm, I'm a psychologist, uh, Australian psychologist. My background is actually clinical psychology. So I, I brought a different lens, I guess, to the safety field. I had no intention of going into safety. It just sort of panned out that way. And so I tend to view safety through a very humanistic, through a very um, almost a clinical lens, uh, rather than a strict sort of behaviourist lens or anything like that. Uh, I head up a company called GIST Consulting, G-Y-S-T, GIST Consulting. And uh, our team sort of work mostly in the high-risk area, but oil, oil and gas mining, construction, helping organisations, their leaders, their teams um, understand the social psychology, I guess, of, of, of safety. So not, not a technical safety person. I don't even count myself a safety person, really, Sam. Um, I'm more of a, I'm a psychologist and, and we sort of deal with uh, how humans operate and we just help organisations through those means, I guess. Yeah, that's very... <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love it. And and especially as you kind of say, I'm not a safety person because I keep telling everyone I'm a recovering safety person, right? It's kind of, kind of nice to, you know, I think that's good to get that. Hi, I'm a Sam. <laughs> so, but, but before, before we go any farther, I have to, I have to show you my, my latest kind of, I keep getting in trouble for my safety unprofessional hat but i think that kind of kind of says it all so awesome. professional recovering safety professional right recovering so, safety professional and you, you do it well yeah, i've been in recovery for you know hi i'm sam and it's been i don't know i'd have to, i need to get a day count that would be the be the real you should real get a badge by now a badge yeah i need a one of those chips you know, that would, be, that would be the next thing. But you, 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 you left out one really important thing that I want to share about you, and that's your your writing. So you're an author, right? Um, Next generation safety leadership from compliance to care um, has absolutely been on fire. Bestseller, right? All over Amazon, multiple different marketplaces, places, tons of feedback and reviews. And I know it's a book that I share with folks all the time. Same, same thing, right? That it's just, just an excellent read for, um, I wouldn't, I mean, safety professionals or recovering safety professionals out there, obviously, but, um, just leaders in general, folks in organizations trying to do nearly anything. It's, it's just such, it's a great read. How did you find yourself writing that book? Uh, there were a few reasons, Sam. And by the way, yes, it has done well, but increasingly, I look on Amazon and it's coming number two to this bloody guy called Sam Goodman <laughs> and his 10 ideas to make safety stuff, which is great. I, again, I and congratulations, Sam, on the success. No, thank you. I recommend that everywhere I go. It's just a brilliant read. Um, but how did I write it? Well, there were a few things. Number one, um, I end up doing a lot of conferences, safety conferences, and uh, often the other speakers would get up there, you know, and they talk. And at their last slide, They'd have where they, you know, they people could go buy their book and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I often got delegates at the conference saying, "So Clive, where can I get your book?" And it's like, <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> so that was one motivator. <laughs> uh, plus, after twenty years of doing this, I felt like I had a fair bit to say. Um, and so, you know, we we do workshops all over the world, but sixteen people at a time. And I guess I wanted the opportunity to get the message out to a wider group of people. Yeah. Um, I had a very clear message in mind of what I wanted to put there. I knew exactly who I wanted to write for, and I certainly wasn't writing for academics or, um, you know, commentators. It was purely for those people out there, uh, leading people in, in the field. So it was a very specific book, essentially about creating trust 
And look, I'm really happy with the results. Uh, it's been published over two years now, and it, it seems to be doing yeah pretty well, which is yeah. great. Yeah, it it it's amazing. I, I as I shared with you, I, I I'd referenced your book several times in Ten Ideas. Yeah. And uh, I shared with you before, and I'd actually just finally got around to going in and leaving you a, a review, a nice five-star review on it over on Amazon. And I shared the picture of for my dog had eaten it. <laughs> so my dog loves That's it right. too. It, human, human or canine. <laughs> I, better, I better send you a hardback. <laughs> That's what I'm going to have to go with next. You might need like a Kevlar jacket on it. I don't know. They decided to, to eat half, half the book. <laughs> But yeah, that's, that, that, I'm with you. You know, for me, similar. You know, kind of finding my way to the ten ideas was a very similar thing. Is that I kept hearing a lot of this feedback, and this this isn't a jab. I think I, I love reading this stuff, and many of us do. There, there was so much kind of safety philosophical kind of stuff kind of floating around out there. Uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of really deep, meaningful conversations that were great, kind of happening in that sphere. But not a lot kind of down to that translation point, right? Of like, okay, how do I take yeah. that and put that to use as a leader, as a safety practitioner, as a, as a you know, many, I come across many organizations now that actually have internal hop practitioners and hop consultants, which is yeah. really kind of interesting to see, really neat to see. How do I, how do we do that? I, I get it. You know, I get it from that point of, 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 of this all sounds great, but tell me what mm. I need to actually do differently at an individual level as a leader or as a, as a manager within this organization, and then at an organizational level, how do we, how do we get this started and keep it going? Yeah. Um, and I guess yeah. that kind of leads me into my first question for you. Something that I, I know that you and I both hit on quite a bit is this idea of operational curiosity, right? Kind of digging into normal work and seeking to mm -hmm. understand from the perspective of those that actually GSD, the folks that actually get shit done out there within our work worlds. And yeah. I don't know if you see this, but so often organizations that I interact with kind of when they first start on this journey, that's one of the more obvious pieces is that they kind of lack this operational yeah. curiosity, which to me is the neatest yeah. part about what we get to do. Cause I'm, I'm just a nerd about learning from people. I just, just kind of who I am. It's just in my nature. Um, there seems to be, in those organizations, this idea more of extreme judgment rather than extreme yeah. curiosity. And in these highly reliable organizations that are kind of down this path, there seems that seems to be the opposite of that, right? Where there's there's a lack of judgment and yeah. an extreme sense of operational curiosity. So any any thoughts on maybe maybe yeah. let's start with the lack on those organizations. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on, on maybe why they lack that or where that comes from? Yeah, look, I, I think there's a few reasons, Sam, uh, and some are more to do with just how we are as human beings in, in terms of cognitive effort. Um, it, it takes cognitive effort, it takes brain power and time to actually be that curious to address questions, to ask them in the first place. And then that often leads to, which is a good thing, change or, or ideas for change. Yeah. But all that takes effort and time. And, for, and look, um, my New Year's resolution, Sam, are one of them, and they're bloody hopeless things, by the way. They never work. <laughs> but I did say, 2023, Clive, um, I'm, I'm going to be kinder to people, right? I'm going to focus on the good stuff about people. Mm. And so let me just think, you know, I've done it myself, right? Um, I lead a company, and uh, throughout my career, I've sort of been in leadership roles. And I know myself, Sam, 
when we're under the pump, when things are really busy, we're kind of all operating at stress levels. Frankly, the last thing I, I feel like I want is my people coming to me with questions or or feedback. You know, we need to change this news for a little while there when it's all stressed out. I just want people to do their job, right? And just, just let's get, as you said, let's just get this shit done. Yeah. And all this other stuff about questions and curiosity seems at that moment to, you know, be, be more than um, I'm capable of. And look, I think that's yeah. true. I think, you know, we're all busy people and people just get caught up. Just, just do it. Just do your job. Just get on with it. Yeah. Uh, and this magical time will come later on when we can bring that curiosity back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's those reasons, and I'm forgiving of myself for that. I'm forgiving um, of others for that. But what I know is it is, of course, um, counterproductive yeah. because if we don't address the things through the curiosity of ourselves as leaders or the staff that we lead, we don't pick up on many things. We don't pick up on those pain points that you so delightfully discuss. And if we miss those, we know the trouble's going to come later, right? And so we end up with more stress. And so um, all I'm saying is there, there are just very human reasons why we tend to avoid doing that. Um, the other side is a little bit more malevolent, malevolent perhaps, and comes down to ego. And that is some leaders um, ask them questions. Why? I, I just tell them what to do. Yeah, you know? I'm the just, leader. Just do as you're told. I'm the leader <laughs> and I don't want you to come and, you know, What's that old saying out there? Don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but again, part of the, the ego can play into this stuff. That's not just human nature. That's just more um, people in a leadership role who believe in that sort of more parent-child, the much more directive approach. They're going to be less inclined, I believe, to bring their people in. So I think there are a few reasons. Some of them purely innocent based on how we're wired versus some leaders who get into this parent-child ego state. What do we do about it then, Sam? And so th there's a number of things, but I think we need to not make this a hit and miss thing, whereby we say, right, every few months or whatever it is, I'm just going to um, you know, ask questions and, and find out how people are going. And I remember reading Amy Edmondson's book that I know you're very familiar with, um, the fearless organization and i found exactly the thing you need to structurally embed this that is you need to have a regular forum that invites your people in um, to actually share you know what they view is going well and what is not going well and you know at the same time actually coming up with solutions and, and so forth but you need to do that structurally because it's all too easy if we don't structure that in to forget about it because we're too busy. And I fall yeah. into that trap too. We, we all will tend to do that. When it's structurally embedded within just the ways that we do work, uh, people learn a few things. They, they learn that their voice will be heard yeah. uh, on a regular basis. And just quietly in that too, they, they're learning that it's safe to share bad news, which is really the essence of, of psychological safety. Yeah. Uh, of course, from a leadership perspective, um, we get to really have our fingers on the pulse. We know what's going on. The way we do it, Sam, and again, this is just putting the psychology lens on it, and often what will assist our, our, the, our clients to do, we call it the Stockdale Paradox, all right, which is, which is a lovely thing worth reading about. Oh, well, you've read my book, so you, you know about this. And that is we invite people in to share what Stockdale or what Collins actually described as the brutal fact. Right. Now, not everybody will like that language. It's fairly intense, but uh, we, we call it that. In other words, all right, let's get together. What do you see currently? 
as, as the brutal facts. In other words, things that are not working the ways that we would like them to be, potentially serious stuff. And so again, we, we end up getting that documented. You know, we, we just write it on a whiteboard or some flip chart paper. And this, by the way, is a really important part of it because if you decide to be big and brave as a leader and invite your people in to do this and uh, you get silence, you know, you've asked the question, so everyone, what are the brutal facts? And there's nothing, there's tumbleweeds blowing. Um, that might be an indicator uh, that people are frightened to death to actually share. So that's all right. You, again, you just need to sort of let them know this is purely benevolent in nature. This is because we want to get better and improve. They're just things we need to know. If then somebody does put one forward um, and you then sort of uh, are dismissive of that, you shut it down somehow, you tell them they're wrong, it's never going to happen again. All right. All you have to do at that point as a leader is listen. Um, and maybe ask for further information. You do not need to agree nor disagree, but you do need to hear it. You do need to record it. So look, often what we'll end up with is a list of potential brutal facts. Now, if that was the end of the activity, it's pretty crap really, isn't it? You've just got a list of shit that's going on. <laughs> Nevertheless, the next part of the paradox is what was referred to as uh, assurance of success. In other words, all it really means is of these brutal facts, what can we control? What can we influence? And we start having that discussion, you know, with the leaders, with the teams. We end up essentially with all of the things we feel we can control and influence. Now, a few things are happening there just quietly. Um, people are understanding their part in the solution. So, that, you know, we're sharing responsibility here. Um, and we move from a position because often in, in organisations, these brutal facts are running around in people's heads, but we're not hearing about them. Right. And that causes, it lowers morale, people leave. They might discuss it in quiet groups over there, you know, but we aren't hearing about them. And, and as I say, you can't fix a secret. All right, we, we need to know that stuff. If we know what they are and then we systematically work through what we can control, what we can influence, that leads to an action plan. Now, at least we know about the stuff and we've got some plans at least for dealing with the things we can control and or influence. So we schedule that in. Yeah. That needs to be embedded, regularly embedded in the way that we do not work, uh, work, not hit and miss, not we'll do it in six months, but our workforce need to know that the next one of these is coming up in a month or whatever it is. So that those are some of the leading ways that we, and again, the, the benefits go way past just solving problems there. It's cultural. People are learning that their voices are important. They're yeah. learning that um, they have a say. It is safe to share bad news. So it has all manner of cultural benefits as well as the initial problem solving. So that, that's just one quick that. I, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I, I really appreciate your kind of bits there on embedding it in, into kind of just the way we do stuff, because I think you can break yeah. that apart a little bit into kind of that ongoing piece as a leader in the informal sense. Of kind of, you know, because we're having those interactions every single day, right? A lot of organizations yeah. build these big frameworks of of uh, observations and stuff, assuming that leaders just don't talk to anyone that works for them, I, I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> so they have to force it through some type of card that they have to go out and talk to people. That's a whole other side rant. <laughs> Yeah, which I'm, I'm, we might get. I to might come back to that. We, we, might, yeah. we might get to that. Yeah, I was I was doing a group, of, a learning team with a group of leaders. That that was the exact feedback, right? That this organization had a had a big hefty observation program that required them to fill out like 
three or four or five cards I sing every single day, right, in an online system that documented their interactions with their employees, basically. And that was their that was their quote back was, "What the hell do you think we yeah. just like? Uh, you think we don't talk to each other? Like yeah. we hate each other? Like that's just how." <laughs> like point taken, very valid point. I like that. <laughs> but absolutely, I, I, I think you kind of have that informal piece that's kind of happening on the fly, right? And with some leaders, that's probably easier than maybe with others for various reasons. But you're kind of you're kind of asking those questions and learning from them uh, as you go. But having that that formal kind of built in piece, I think, is important. I, I know we see that quite a bit around. Uh, I spend a lot of time in power generation, outage work, post outage work. You see a lot of this kind of built in stuff that they recognize that during the fog of battle, when things are super crazy, work's happening on every single inch of this facility, you miss stuff. And it's hard to capture that stuff unless you you formalize and sit down and have an actual conversation about that stuff. If it doesn't go on the calendar, it doesn't happen kind of thing, right? And I've, I've seen that work, you know, successfully in a lot of different places. Now, I, the language they use around them around post-job critique and this kind of, it might be a little, a little interesting. It can get a little interesting, but having the right starting position for that informal approach or informal approach or that formal approach, informal approach would be to me, kind of that key thing, that yeah. mindset that a leader takes into that or an organization takes into that of starting from a place of curiosity, of starting from a place of yeah. trust, really wanting to not seek not go out and seek to tell people what to do, but kind of back to ideas of safety differently of kind of going out and asking them what they need and trying to learn as much about their task as you possibly can through their lens, understanding that you don't have that reality because you literally do not walk in their work boots, (laughs) you know, that type of thing. That's really, yeah, that's a, that's a great takeaway. I think for folks out there listening of thinking about that, how do I, how do I embed this into my organization? So it consistently happens with frequency. It's a deliberate act that we do. So kind of shifting gears here a little bit, you know, that I've I've got to, I've got to uh, kind of poke the bear a little bit, right? Because um, no way, (laughs) not me, right? Not me. I would never rattle cages and poke bears with dull, with dull, dull sticks, right? That's 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 not nothing I would do. Um, but you and I both have been extremely critical of BBS, um, behavior-based safety. Um, I'm extremely critical of it because I, I grew up in it, right? I grew up in behavior-based safety as it became like the hot thing for the safety profession. And I, I know I have a lot of opinions on what it does at the pointy end of how most organizations roll that out. And I know you do too. Um, I thought I was critical of it until I met you, Clive. And then I realized that I'm like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> but here's, I, I want to take this uh, folks out there. Know our opinions on that. If, if folks are listening to my podcast, yeah. Um, yeah. they're usually not, you know, running in the BBS crowd. A lot of times, I've won, I've won some over, I've won some over in time and I've had several BBS folks on the podcast. Uh, and you know, what's really interesting to me about that is a lot of those folks, at least at kind of really at the academic level, there's a lot more similar beliefs, I think, than what many would think, but as it comes down to, okay, how would, how do we make this function in the real world? It seems to skew right in a in a direction that's not very kind to our workforces in a lot of ways, not not very humanistic, right? As we were kind of talking about. Yeah. So as I said, I think everyone everyone kind of knows where we stand. But let me let me ask you a question, maybe a little different, is to begin, what are some of the ugliest 
elements of BBS that really stand out to you. Maybe, maybe like the onesie twosies, if you had to, if you had to pick like one or two, but then on the other side of that, this is where it gets wacky. What's some stuff that Clive Lloyd might appreciate from BBS. If you can, if you've got a list there, what, what, what do you think? What's the, what's the, what's the roughest of the rough and the best of the best? All right. (laughs) So, Quite naturally, uh, question one is probably going to be easier for me. Um, and what's going to be challenging is is this this podcast is not infinite in terms of time. So I'm going to have to be mindful of that. Question two, slightly more challenging, but I think um, I think I've got something for you. Let me just say this, Sam, uh, about BBS in general. And uh, as you know, I kind of got into trouble again on, on LinkedIn <laughs> um, yesterday because I, I did respond very quickly to a post about BBS and incorrectly because I made that terrible error of reading the headline of an article rather than the article itself. But let me say this on a positive note, Sam, I think things are changing. Um, one of the strongest advocates, uh, what I would describe as a radical behaviorist, an author that we both know and many would, one of the biggest advocates of BBS, um, his most recent article that I read, and this is the one I got in trouble for because I was critical before I even read the damn thing. When I actually read the article, there is evidence of movement. There is evidence of change. So I think we're, we're making headway here. But let me just say this generally as a psychologist, I do distinguish between BBS and behaviorism. Now, behaviorism or radical behaviorism is a school of psychology. It's, a, it's an old one back to the 1930s. Um, and that school of thought, and this is why I had no time for it during, during my training or ever since, is the founder of radical behaviorism, Skinner, mm-hmm. um, not the principal in The Simpsons. This is another Skinner. Um, he said quite literally, and he was very open about it, um, I'm not remotely interested in things like emotions or thinking. Not remotely interested. I am purely interested in observable behaviors and um, manipulating those essentially through conditioning, through punishment, through reward. So that lost me straight away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that if you're actually saying thoughts and feelings don't matter, you've lost me. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's my, my main um, criticism is not about BBS per se. It's about behaviorism. Now, unfortunately, the link is much of BBS is informed by radical behaviorism and that is my issue and when i'm being critical sam maybe often leaders will come to me and say yeah but we don't do it like that right we do other things you know we we look at context because as you know sam context drives behavior right we we look at how people were thinking and stuff great that's a shift that is not behavior based safety that is not behaviorism and that's the distinction I want to make, all right? So my issue is not necessarily with BBS. It is about the behaviorism associated with it. People are thinking, feeling beings. And if you don't look at the very things that drive behavior, you're on a loser. Now, sorry about that little preamble. Nope. But as nope. I said, I'm 2023, I'm trying to think nicer about people, even BBS advocates. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this, this shift. Now, what are the worst bits? Oh, God, where do I start, Sam? All right, let me go with, um, well, the traditional safety observation, right, uh, which is one of the hallmarks of BBS, watching people doing what they're doing and, and then correcting all you know, and all that stuff. Now, what we call here in Australia often uh, safety walks. Uh, I'm not, you know, there's different terminology used in different yep. places. Same, yep. But this is often how it goes, Sam, yeah. So 
Often there are KPIs around this, by the way, and KPIs and behaviours go beautifully together, of course. And if you really want to wreck safety, just have a bunch of KPIs on it. <laughs> yeah. you know? If you really want to wreck it, have a bunch of KPIs on behaviour-based safety stuff. That'll just kill it stone dead. Anyway, I was working with a company recently. Um, all leaders, their KPI, eight safety walks a month. Right, essentially two a week. But what they mean by a safety walk, Sam, this is what alluding to what you were describing before. A safety walk for them is I don the hard hat, I put the high-vis vest on, I'm out there, paper, pad, pen, and what I'm looking for, what I'm looking for is bad stuff, right? Bad stuff. Things they're doing. So first up, it shouldn't be yep. called a safety walk. It should be called an unsafety walk because that's what we're oh. looking for. Oh, man, that's really that's bad. Right. I'll take a photo of that. It's a violation it's scavenger so cool. hunt is what we're <laughs> exactly what it is. And so look, um, because you know, there's that KPI eight a month, none of these leaders actually enjoy doing them. No. And so what they tend to do, Sam, they leave it to the end of the month, right? And they knock out eight quick ones. <laughs> and so what you end up with, of course, is swarms of leaders out there. Um, doing these alleged safety, looking for bad stuff, sending photos to safety, not fixing it, but sending and so forth. Now, it's not a surprise to the workforce. This happens every month. They know they're coming. And so their supervisors will say, guys, they'll be out soon. You know, have a tidy up. So they're not even seeing things as they actually are. With this fear, you get bad data, right? right. And so think about that. Um, they're not seeing things as they actually are. Nobody likes doing them. And think what that's doing culturally. They're, all their leads are out there in swarms looking for bad stuff, reporting stuff. How is that helping trust? It's How is that helping that voice that we were talking about? To, 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 today um, is safety day, right? We're doing our one day of safety a month. Is how we're, yeah. <laughs> this is how we're I thought, totally. But, but before you jump on, I've, I've got a, a, a quick thread to kind of tug on there. Is, so I know this is a bunch with observations and I don't, I'm not so convinced that um, I've seen many organizations kind of as they mature on this path of kind of doing safety differently or hop or whatever you want to call it, they start to move away from that model and move towards yeah. many of them are calling them work insights of just trying to gain insight Absolutely. into normal work. And so much of what I think is the power in that is this idea of what we what we would typically think of as observations within an organization back to your point on kind of those parent child relationships is exactly that, right? Yeah. As we were talking yeah. about, it's, 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 it's built on the idea of a parent child relationship. It's going out because I'm a leader. I'm smart. Workers are dumb. I'm going to go find out how dumb they're being today and I'm going to fix them. Right. And it, it, it never works out well in, in any sense of the word. It doesn't. And then, like you said, on the output side of that, we're taking this and we're trying to trend it into some magical crystal ball that's going to tell us where people are going to get harmed. And it's just wacky. Absolutely. It's just a whole wacky process. But I guess where I was going with that is I, I'm I'm with you on it being a, so far on being, <laughs> being a very ugly element for just that reason alone of just the, the type of dynamic that it creates between a leader and those out there getting yeah. work done is it puts me in yeah. a position as a leader to go out and seek where people are being air quotes here, bad people. And I'm going to go fix those. Bad Absolutely. People. And don't get me wrong, Sam, I'm all for, you know, that old visible felt leadership. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I'm for that. Yeah. But trouble is though, um, there's a dangerous side to that. Visible felt leadership. Well, it depends what leaders are visible doing. There's the visible bit. And it's that felt bit. What are people actually feeling? Yeah. And if, if leaders are out there with the pen and pad looking for bad stuff, they're visible, but they're visible being policemen or police people. Yeah. What's being felt is fear. 
So that is not a great, it's visible felt leadership, but it's not of the nature that we want. And I often say to leaders, look, just get rid of the safety thing here. And I find, Sam, more and more, I'm talking less and less about safety. Yeah. You know, don't call it a safety walk. Just go for a bloody walk. Yeah. Just go for a walk. And as you are out walking, you can, again, ask those questions, humble inquiry. So, God, what is it you need from us to do your job well? Um, you know, uh, tell, tell me about that new procedure. Where, where is it working well? Where have you had to make adaptations just to get the job done and so mm -hmm. forth? Now, that's visible felt leadership. That will do some good. And again, it's not always, I mentioned before the Stockdale paradox, bringing people in in a structured way, but you can go out to them yeah. uh, in those ways. But please don't go out with this stuff. Now, I'm rambling a bit here, but let me just say, while we're on, on the negative aspects of BBS is fundamentally, whose behaviour are we talking about? We're not talking about the board's behaviour. We're not talking about the senior leadership team's behaviour. We are talking, let's face it, about the workforce, particularly the contractor's behaviour. Yeah, of course. And so <laughs> yeah. you, you cannot hold that position for long without that manifesting into blame. What we're really saying is why do we have incidents? Because of them. And that's yeah. blame-based safety. BBS? blame-based safety so there's if you like there's some of the ugly parts um all right what's um if i'm going to dig deep here and find something that what did you say admire admire um, yeah Gee, sam and if, uh, let's Gee, just sam. i guess i guess or, or if, if that's if that's too much of a reach for us we can go with sucks the least <laughs> hey good name for a book sucks um, the no. least <laughs> Let me just say this again in my New Year's resolution to try and be kinder. Um, look, even things like personal risk assessments, things like take fives, right, that all our people would be familiar with. Well intended, well intended. And, and please understand, I, I'm not averse to checklists. Mate, you and I fly a lot, right? And every time I get on that plane, I look to the left and I see the uh, pilot, co-pilot, maybe the engineer, they're going through their checklist. And it's the same checklist every flight. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I actually want them to do that, and I want them to do Absolutely. a good job of that. Yeah. But, yeah, the difference being they're not just mindlessly working their way through that. They're actually, and you see them if you're on as many planes as we are, you see them talking. It's a useful tool. You see them actually tool. going through, doing things. Useful tool, very important yeah. tool. So, again, when take fives were introduced, those personal risk assessments were introduced, great intent. And to some degree, they can be quite useful. In other words, their questions just to switch that conscious brain on about the job that we're about to do. Mm -hmm. But the behaviourist implementation of that, the introductions of KPIs around that, right. are then used, uh, weaponised effectively. Often if there's a near miss or an actual incident, what's the first question that person's going to get? Did you do your take five? Did you and check so the box? You bring fear into it. <laughs> Did you tick that box? And so what people learn to do, right? Because people are smarter. See, behaviorism was designed on pigeons and rats. People are smarter <laughs> than that, uh, the vast majority anyway. And so, look, what people learn to do very quickly is they get to work. They'll go in the uh, lunchroom or their, their what we call a crib room. They'll fill in a bunch of take five so they've got one mm -hmm. ready should something happen. That is safety clutter. That is, that is not helping with safety. Now, where I've seen these tools work a bit more effectively is where leaders have gone to their, their own teams and they said, look, here's a generic uh, starter ship tool, 
personal risk assessment. Yeah. Yeah. It's generic. That may not fit for you, number one. It may not be totally relevant to the work that you do. Guys, take it away. Um, make any adaptations you think necessary that will make it a useful tool for your work. Yeah. And often then they bring it back. Some have completely rewritten it. Others have got very minor tweaks. Nevertheless, think about now who has ownership of that tool? Well, the crews do. If they have ownership of it, they're much more likely to use it as intended. But for me, uh, those cards anyway have limited value and there's some good research to that effect. It is those discussions that make the difference. It is those yeah. authentic discussions between team members and those questions that we ask them and they ask themselves. So, um, but again, if you ask me for something that's, um, that I admire, I admire the fact that, um, you know, we, we recognize that by asking questions, we can steer conscious attention and to get people's brains on. It's again, all about the implementation, which tends to come back to that parent child metrics stuff. So yeah, I did my very you. best on that. <laughs> well, now, I, I really appreciate your conversation as you kind of go down this path, which brings us up to a little bit of a rabbit hole that we can dive down a little bit. Um, for time's sake, I won't ramble on too much because you know how I get Clive. If you get me and you together <laughs> without some parameters set around it, we might be here for yeah, 24 right. hours straight. <laughs> yeah. And then we get hate mail. <laughs> 24 hour. pie. <laughs> We should just do a live streaming marathon session, I think, at some point, and we'll just see how long, oh, we, how long we can go. Lots of Red Bulls, lots yeah. of coffee, and uh, we'll, we'll give it a shot. But I really appreciate your point around kind of pre-job I've been spending a lot of time with organizations here stateside digging into that in particular, right? Doing a bunch yeah. of learning teams and listening sessions with organizations around exactly that piece of it. And, and I touch on it a little bit in 10 Ideas one of those examples, but it's such this idea where there's such a disconnect. There's such a disconnect, I think, between um, the creators of those processes, the gatekeepers of those processes, right? Those folks that, yeah. that really kind of hang on to that bureaucratic piece of it. And then the folks that are actually supposed to be using the tool or the tool, in my opinion, um, the folks that should be getting a tool that's beneficial for them that actually helps them in accomplishing something, right? Uh, that's one thing that I rant on quite a bit in 10 Ideas is this idea of what a, what a tool yeah. actually is, right? Other than the safety guy or your leader, right? <laughs> what, what, what a tool actually is. And it, it must be something that help aid you in accomplishing something in need of accomplishing, right? Yeah. And so many safety tools and safety tools, air quotes, um, safety tools in particular are just solutions in search of problems so many times. Right. And so I, I really appreciate that point because so much of what you find in that disconnect, or at least what I've seen in that divide is that you've got a tool that is completely useless to the folks that are actually out there doing work. So they're putting that tool to the side and they're having these really great conversations, but we're not helping them in any way, shape or form to do that. They have a compliance burden, right? A, a bureaucratic compliance activity. They have to show up through the organization because the folks that are up here in the organization, they look down on it and go, aha, you're safe because you have a really well filled out form. It's the punctuation looks good on it. Yeah have good handwriting. You've got, you know, if I'd ask leaders that, how do you, you, you keep bringing up this idea? Many of them bring up this idea of, well, quality pre in our world is pre job briefs, take five, same thing, right? Quality pre job briefing. Well, how do you, what's quality? Do you go out and listen to yeah. them? Do you spend, well, we look at the forms. Well, how do you know that they're quality? Well, you can look because they checked everything and they filled out a bunch. They wrote a bunch of words. <laughs> so yeah. that means they're quality, right? But and, and, and I know yeah. I'm kind of fainting here. I'm going somewhere with it. I promise. 
but you see that disconnect. So you have these leaders up in the organization or, or, or safety folks or whoever that's kind of holding on to this form and pushing it down for these folks to use who believe it really helps them. They believe the better it's filled out, the more check boxes they put on there and they tend to grow and bloat because every time an event happens, we add another box and another box because if there would have only been a checkbox, this would have never happened. And the folks down in the organization that just throw it to the side, do what they need to, to make it look like they're in compliance with it. Like you said, I've spent time with those folks. I've seen everything from beautiful photocopies that everyone just signs. When my favorite quote, Clyde, my favorite quote that I've ever gotten from a group around a process, because they were just brutally honest. They said, it's the most filled out form that we use after shit hits the fan. After something bad happens, we fill one out real good, yeah. and then we bring it to yep. later to show to show that we had one. So I, I'm I'm with oh. you. I think that, that idea of of having these good conversations, we can all agree that that's great, right? That's a yeah. great thing. And how does the organization support them in that, rather than it being some type of parent child something, which is like here's a form that we made for you because we know what's best for you and you need to do it. Going out, spending yeah. time with them, letting them self author this stuff, letting them come up with what it looks like what works best for them. Yeah. Most of these groups I've spent time with, they find themselves into what us in the hop community would call start when safe. Usually this kind of what's the shit that kills you. Uh, what controls yeah. do we have in place? And are they enough? That's usually that's the conversation they're having anyways, is how do I not yeah. die at work? That's my main concern. Yeah. And what I'm working what, on, what's most important to this job that has to go right. And how do we put all the stuff in place to make sure that it goes right? What kills me and what's the stuff that really matters and how do we work yeah. on that? And I yeah. think that's a that's a powerful thing to to have to to put that in the hands of the folks that actually have to use the tool to create the tool, because so often yeah. we find ourselves in organizations trying to manage those processes through force. And I'm a firm believer that if you have to force someone to use a tool, a tool being something that's supposed to be useful to them, it's not freaking useful <laughs> because if it's useful to that's me, right. it's like a hammer. If a hammer, if I need to drive a nail, I'm going to go get a hammer. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And that, look, the team would have come up with that themselves anyway, right? That one of the chapters in my book was um, your team has the answers. Do you have the questions? Yeah. And leaders simply don't tap into that enough, right? Yeah. Um, if, if you want to know what to do or check in with the team, they will let you know. Just briefly, sorry, Sam, you know me, I'm always going to have a, <laughs> you just um, pulled a thread there for me yep. too. We're talking about, you know, getting out in the field, having those conversations, bringing our people in to identify brutal facts. I do often get from leaders, Clyde, I'm busy, time, right? And so um, leaders are often amazed these days when I go through with them how they spend their time and how unproductive it is with what's become known, I guess, as safety clutter, right? Yes. So we'll talk about those safety walks. Essentially, they don't do any good. In the current format, they become safety clutter. They're a waste of your time. They do. In fact, they cause harm because they create cynicism and mistrust. Things like at the beginning of every meeting, doing a safety moment, it's compulsory, all right? You have to start off with a safety moment. And when they're compulsory, over time, they become lame. You know, people come up with little kitchen stories and uh, little driving stories. Nobody likes them. No and so leaders become amazed when we go through the, that clutter. How much of what they do achieves nothing for safety. In mm -hmm. fact, it's often inversely related to safety. If you just did away with all that clutter and spent that time engaging with your teams, humble inquiry out in the field, bringing them in and so forth, now that will make a difference. And it'll make a difference culturally too. Yes. But yeah, we often just spend our time doing the KPI stuff that does no good. 
and I, I and I'm, I know you have these conversations too, but I find that, especially when we're talking about frontline leaders, I'm convinced that one of the one of the hardest jobs within any organization is that of a frontline leader. Um, yeah, me too. Because that seems to be where so much of that weight is placed, right? As yeah. as you have conversations, as you get up to like the kind of manager, directors, executive levels, they're kind of pushing all this stuff down onto the plate of the frontline leader to manage. And I get it; it's a that's that that's the frontline tactical leader. They're in a really challenging position, though. And I'm as yeah. I was saying, I'm, I'm sure you have these conversations up with executives as well as I do, where you you have to you have to really kind of level set them as well though in this understanding that you can't just put more and more on their plate and expect it just to happen because you say so that's just not how that works in the real world you know those leaders are out there managing some extremely complex and complicated work and now you're piling a bunch of bureaucratic nonsense on top of it there's only so much room on that plate and eventually the peas and carrots start to fall off right they don't as you said they don't they, they literally don't have the bandwidth to be able to walk yeah. out and spend that time. And if those are the things that we want to encourage, which I'm certain most executives and managers, directors would say, I want them spending more time with folks. You got to clear some of that crap out of there. You got to clear the way for that Absolutely. to happen and put them in a position where they can actually be successful with that. Because so often what I see is, is that just there's not enough hours in the day. And all that bureaucratic stuff, to your point exactly, is it's clogging up their ability to be able to just go take a normal walk, spend time with folks. Like, how's your day going? Right. They, they, yeah. they don't have time to ask folks how their day's going most of the time because there's too much paperwork. There's too many safety meetings. There's too many safety messages. They got to write for the next week and on and on and on and on. And if you can just yeah. clear out that hour of time in their day to where they go, you know, I really don't have anything to do right now. I'm going to go walk around and see how the, how the folks are doing out there and just, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. Just, and just Sam, a just, again, you pulled, a, <laughs> you pulled another thread. So let me, uh, a moment directly to directors and, and to senior leaders, because you, you said those frontline leaders, those safety leaders, they know all this stuff, right? When I talk to them about metrics, I talk about take fives, I talk about all of that. They know it, they get it. They, they already know this stuff. And they will say, Clive, I know I would be best served. The company would be best served. My team would be best served if I was out there with them, yeah. uh, engaging in humble inquiry and all that stuff. And they say, I'm not out in the field because I'm in the office dealing with all of the record keeping and metrics that I've got mm-hmm. to put into a report. And they all know this. So my message to executives would be, um, please understand your frontline leaders all know this. Your safety people already know this. Back them in. Listen to them. Bring them in. Talk about what they believe would make all the difference. And yeah. they need your backing in this. And I think whenever I do have the opportunity to speak to executives, eventually we put the case for change. They get it too. Mm-hmm. And we are making progress, Sam. But uh, I, I'm with you. I feel for those frontline leaders. Yeah. They, they are the ones... Well, Struggling. as you said, we we like to heap lots and lots and lots on their plate. And again, there's this uh, there's this almost this belief, I think, as you get farther away from work. Right. And and a lot of executives have come from those positions at some point in their careers and they've, you know, time and distance. Right. We, we tend we tend to forget some of those struggles. Um, and just to understand that, again, that just because you will it to be doesn't mean that it can actually happen unless you give them the ability for for it to be done yeah. right giving them giving them that that room because i'm as you as you said you talk to those folks 
And that's what they would rather be doing. They know it's what's more valuable. Absolutely. It's it's reweighting that value scale where the organization has typically put a, put a lot of value on this kind of bureaucratic activities of paperwork. And, and there's always going to be some level of paperwork. There's always going to be some level of bureaucracy that's induced externally to the organization and some internally, like everyone gets that. I think frontline leaders all the way down to the frontline employees and those out there just getting shit done. Everyone understands there's some level of that that's going to take place because it's the nature of the world that we live in, but it's the needless stuff, the stuff that's just there because we throw it there and we think that it works or we find out that it doesn't and we keep pretending like it does because it feels really good. If you can just clear those pipes out, those leaders can do that, right? Again, just being able to walk out onto the shop floor and curiously wander around with no intent of doing a safety observation, safety observation right here, throwing in my air quotes for everyone listening, no intent of going out looking for compliance or violations, violations, another air quote there, going out and doing all that kind of stuff that's been prescribed to them. They just get to to, to genuinely just wander yeah. around and be with people. Um, I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about what it is that you and I get to do so much is that yeah. I, I don't have any of that stuff that, that that those leaders have tossed on them. So I get to just go be curious. And I feel like there's a lot of power in that. If you can just yeah. set that up to where your leaders and, and folks within that chain have the ability to just what at whatever point during the day that they have that extra hour that you've now created for them to be able to go walk yeah. around and just, just, just have a little fun and be curious and spend time with folks. Just that kind of fellowship with people and with, with, with no agenda, no, no, you know, nothing yeah. that the organization's really driving it to where you just get to go out and talk to people as people. And that stuff just seems to naturally bubble up. You know, I've shared this a ton, but I, I, I received that input from way back in, way back when, when I started my career, one of the directors that I worked for, that's what they tasked me with for the first like week that I was on a job site. It's like, you get to go out and talk to people about everything that's not safety and work stuff. Period. No safety stuff, no work stuff. Go get to know people. And that's yeah. such an amazing exercise. As, as wacky as it sounded, I know I've shared it a ton, but when when you're kind of walking around going, okay, I can't talk about work and I can't talk about safety. And here I am as a, as a safety person. <laughs> so, what am I supposed what, to do? Yeah. What do you do when you're not at work? <laughs> You, you start to have some more meaningful conversations. So again, to me, it's that reweighting of the value scale towards kind of needless bureaucracy and kind of taking as much of that out as we possibly can and freeing up the time for folks to go out and do more meaningful things, especially those in that leader in those leadership positions. Just one more thing, Sam. No, do it. Yeah, go you, for you, it. I like you it. and I could go all day. We're <laughs> just talking about you know, getting out there, humble inquiry and uh, kind of moving away from KPIs. But I did have this one senior leader who was, no, 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 we, we must have KPIs. And I thought, all right. Um, by the way, you don't have to, but okay. I said, how about this for a KPI? All right, when you're out in the field or your people are out in the field, how about this? Uh, what percentage of your people's children's names do you know? Mm. And look, even if that was 40%, what does that suggest I've been doing? Well, I've been out in the field talking about, God forbid, Sam, non-work or even non-safety stuff. I've just been talking. Now, before you have a go at me, people out there, uh, I know it probably wouldn't work in practice because you'd have some leaders go straight out, right, what are your kids' names? Got them. <laughs> what are your kids' names? Got them. So, look, I'm getting it in my logbook. Sp- <laughs> <laughs> but the spirit of what I'm saying is true here. Visible felt leadership. It matters what you are visible doing. 
it matters how people feel. Mm. Let them let yourself be visible as a helping professional, not even right. a safety professional, a helping professional. Helping. Yeah. Um, asking questions, humble inquiry. Um, help them to feel, therefore, thankful, grateful, helped, safe, trust, and so forth, as opposed to the KPI, visible felt leadership, which is visible being a policeman, police person, and what I feel is fear and cynicism. Right. There's a huge shift, huge That's, shift there. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So we've spent a bunch of time and, and kind of what I would classify as, as talking about operational curiosity. We kind of started with that and everything that we're kind of talking about is going back to that sense of just curiosity. And it's such a, to me, that's one of the things when people ask me, I get a ton of questions and you probably do too, um, especially from newer safety professionals in particular and kind of newer folks kind of finding their way into safety or human organization performance or kind of in that vein of, of what's the thing? Like, what's the thing? And a lot of times they send me like, what's the certifications that I should take? Or what's, what's the, and they always get kind of, uh, sometimes they get a little cross when I send, but send this response back to them when they're asking about what certification they should take. And I kind of say, don't worry about the certification as much as you worry about being genuinely curious, right? If there's one trait that I could wave a magic wand and instill in safety professionals and leaders in all of those folks, as you kind of said, that helping, that helping profession yeah. would be that piece that we've been talking about at the root of just about our entire conversation is around this idea of operational curiosity, operational curiosity that leads to operational uh, intelligence or learning. And to kind of tie back into so much of what you speak about so eloquently is this idea of that's not possible without this piece of trust or environments in which people have the ability to be honest, right? It's that kind of raw and real information uh, that's, that's so vital. So what are some things that it could, we talk about trust a bunch before I say that we talk about trust a bunch and mm. especially in our work worlds now, psychological safety is becoming more and more prevalent, which I think back to your point on things are shifting, I think in the right direction. Um, some organizations find themselves, it's like the hot new thing though. And sometimes mm. it's a lot of talk, not a lot of action or sustainability around those pieces. So what are some things that a leader can do? Like if you're talking to me as frontline leader or manager or whoever in the organization, what are some things, a thing or a couple of things that I can do to maybe help grow or sustain yeah. that, that trust? And what are some things that maybe the organization can do overall? Yeah. I think we touched on a little bit of that about maybe formalizing some of these kind of these input sessions or what, however, whatever listening sessions, however we want to call that. There's a thousand different words for the same thing. Right. And even yeah. into the point of sustainability, how do we yeah. keep that going? And I think we did touch on that a little bit around this idea of building some of it into your processes and practices to make sure that it can consistently yeah. happens. But so leaders from, from the leader's perspective, what are some things from the organization's perspective? And then maybe anything else you would want to, to add in around the, the sustainability bits. Yeah. And sustainability is a big one. So I'll come back to that. Yeah. Look in the book, I, I describe three core components that leaders need to demonstrate consistently to build trust. And for those of you who've not read it, um, integrity, which is, you know, most people would, would get that. Um, the other one is competence. It's not all about people skills. We need to demonstrate that we're good at what we're supposed to be good at, right? Yeah. Uh, the third one, again, is called benevolence, which just really means demonstrated care. Now, you've got to be able to demonstrate those three at all time. Now, most people would understand integrity, doing what I said I would do, you know, aligned with our company values or at least my own values. If I say this, then that's what I will do. 
unless there's good reasons otherwise, then I'll also come back and let you know why. Uh, competence or um, really ability. In other words, we need to be good at what we're supposed to be good at. Very difficult to build and maintain trust if people see that you're just not bloody good at your job, right? right. Uh, the third factor there, that benevolence or what we call care, demonstrated care, that's the one that we focus on the most. Integrity is is really sort of down to personality and choices around that. That's a value, uh, values-based behavior. Competence, well, we can train people. You know, we, we, can, we can give people what they need to be able to do their job. It's that care factor. Now, why do we single that one out? Because all three components are important. And what we know from the research is that that benevolence or that care factor is the most powerful in terms of overcoming mistrust. And think about it. How could you even hope to overcome those pockets of mistrust if your people simply don't believe you care about them? And so that's a large part of what we do. Now, the interesting thing here is um, I'll often ask this question in workshops, Sam, of the leaders. Question number one, I ask, put your hand up if you believe that leaders in this organization actually do care about their teams. And usually all hands will go up or the vast majority will go up. And I, you know, I'm going with that. I believe them. Second question, put your hand up if you believe leaders in this organization are good at demonstrating care to their people. And you know what? Hardly any hands go up. And that's the disconnect. And think about it. When I do the same exercise at the crew level, which I do, I ask them question one, do you believe leaders really get not many hands go up? Now think about it. How would they know? If we are not demonstrating that care, yeah. how would yeah. the crews know that we do care? So unfortunately, it's not enough just to care. You know, none of no leaders want their people to be injured. Of course they don't. It's not that they don't care. But if they're not demonstrating it, how would they know? So we do talk a lot about what does it mean to demonstrate care? Because, you know, I'm not talking about running around hugging everyone or anything like that. You get arrested for that. It, it's more <laughs> along the lines of some of the things we've been talking about. You know, when I ask the crews, how do you know that your leader does care about you? Or what's a way that they do demonstrate care? And they'll give me a bunch of stuff, but the most consistent one I get back, Sam, is quite simply, they listen. They listen to us. That also does infer, of course, that they've been out there, you know, engaging with us, humble inquiry, doing all the stuff we mentioned before, but demonstrating care. Uh, as I mentioned in my book too, trust arrives on foot but leaves on horseback. So um, it's uh, you can undo this stuff very quickly. So these are consistent behaviours, but... I just mentioned that one, the demonstration of care. And I asked then leaders, well, what are examples of demonstrating care? How can we keep, how can we get better at actually doing that? So that, that's one big area. From an organizational point of view, I've found transparency is key, um, particularly in sort of through that whole COVID era, uh, when times are tough, when layoffs are imminent and so forth. What I know is trust can take a battering if people know stuff is going on, but they don't hear from management about it. And I'll always say this, um, in the absence of information, people simply make shut up, shit up, right? Yep. <laughs> they all just, yeah. and invariably, the stuff they make up is probably worse than what's going on, but you will lose a lot of skin in the game there. You lose a lot of trust. Be as transparent as you can be at all times, both individually as a leader, but also as an organisation yeah. collectively. 
Um, also, if you're going to be one of these organizations that has a set of values, and it's almost all organizations right now, mm -hmm. and you can usually to go to their website, it's usually top left or top right of their um, their webpage, their homepage. I often, Sam, wish that organizations wouldn't bother with organizational <laughs> values. I only say that because invariably they choose a set of values that are virtually impossible to live up to. Yeah. And what I know is then rather than helping them, that becomes a bit of a bit of a bane because as soon as they deviate from those values, that's evidence to the workforce that the you know they don't do what they said they would do. That integrity piece comes down, that trust comes down. So transparency, and if you're going to have a set of values, choose values that you can live up to. I said said to a senior exec the other day after listening to them talk, uh, they they wanted to redo their values and then i listened to their meeting and i said it sounds like then one of your values in fact i'd suggest your primary value would be um shareholder profit we can't have that as a value <laughs> and i said well frankly based on the discussion we've just had that seems like that's your major driver <laughs> now look you know at least if we put that as a value people know what they're signing up for right Whereas if we just have integrity and safety as our values, but it's really not, <laughs> you know, it might look good on the website, but your people are going to get, you know, missed. So in short, yeah. Sam, transparency, integrity are key. Yeah. As, as soon as that mismatch is observed, right, it's, it all goes downhill from there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really appreciate your point Absolutely. On, on the kind of make shit up piece, because we see that a ton. I know I was in, we, we see a lot of the similar thing, same similar stuff out there. And we've always kind of referred to it as kind of this, this industrial lore that occurs kind of within our work worlds where there's, there's when there's silence or just enough kind of vague information that's passed down through management, people kind of take that and add to, and as we do with any form yeah. of lore, we kind of embellish and make bigger. We make the monster a little scarier a lot of times, and then we pass it on in that game of telephone, and then the next person gets it, and the monster gets a little bit bigger and scarier, and then we kind of keep passing yeah. that on until it eventually gets to the point to where, you know, you or I come in and hear the story, and we're like, what the hell is going on? And we start to have the, and once you, once you pull apart the layers that have been added to the story, you find out that the monster wasn't quite the monster that it was made out to be, but that's yeah. the leaf in the organization. Now remaining silent about those critical things does you no service at all as an organization and your point yeah. is exactly spot on that silence only makes things worse if stuff is I, I was i was at a location not that long ago where an employee had been 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 let go from the organization for a a very valid reason why you would no longer employ an individual um and what what you what i kind of found is you kind of go through this organization there's all these massive stories about what has kind of happened because the organization chose to remain completely silent about this entire event. Right. And this is a small tight knit location for a very large organization. Right. They're like family. Right. I get it. It's, we're, we're more of a community than family, but it's they're, they felt that kind of piece. They referred to themselves as a family. They all knew each other inside and outside of work, very small location. And so word travels fast. When you don't have to get out there and spill the dirty laundry, you just need to say yeah. something meaningful, right? You just need to not go with silence because yeah. to your exact point where that vacuum exists, it sucks in all kinds of bullshit. Oh, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely right. In the absence of data, people make shit up. They make shit up. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been we've been going for a minute. So I'm, 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 I've been that, that's one of my New Year's resolutions, Clive. Is I've been really working to try to be more mindful of people's time with the podcast because these are great conversations. They're super duper fun. And I, I really, most of the folks that tune in appreciate the long format, but we've been going for over an hour now, which is kind of awesome because it seems wow. like, it just like, boom, kind of, <laughs> kind of just, just over. I hope you didn't have a meeting. <laughs> it's good. No, it's six, it's seven thirty Saturday morning. I'm good. <laughs> I'm going into I'm coasting into a a Friday afternoon. This is a this is a great way to to make that happen to get to catch up with you and get to have such an amazing conversation that I've got to tell you I it just chock full of a bunch of great stuff for folks out there that they can take and work on right now. Right now at any level in their organization or what yeah. whatever amount of responsibility they have in their organization. Um, I'm going to ask you the final infamous question, the any you know, the one that uh-huh. I don't know where it came from, but it just kind of started happening. Uh, and it never hit me until someone's like, Oh, I sound like I'm at a, about to be executed. But any final, any final words, any last words, <laughs> Clive? And what I'm what I've always meant by that is is anything for <laughs> whoever, whoever out there that you want to aim that towards, safety folks, leaders, executives directors, whoever, anything that you would want to leave them with or any final pro tips or words of wisdom that you would want to share with them before you wrap things up today? Yeah. All right. Well, how about this? Because I mentioned my New Year's resolution, Sam. It's a, it's, it's a line to that. And that is my, what I'm trying to get better at myself is always look for the positive intent. It's all too easy when you see um, some some errant behaviour. Somebody just took a shortcut, for example. All too easy to leap to that lane, as, as we tend to do. But mm-hmm. if we concentrate on the positive intent, and I reckon just about any behaviour out there that we see, if you look hard enough, you can find a positive intent behind that. Now, you don't have to excuse that or anything, but if you look... Again, the guy who just took a shortcut, what was the positive intent? Well, it might just be trying to get the job done quickly for the company and so forth. We can help them to reach that goal maybe in ways that are better. But if you, instead of leaping to blame, always pause and search for the positive intent. And Sam, as we alluded to before, I'm trying to do that, especially with some of the safety challenges around BBS and metrics. I'm looking for the positive intent. And then maybe we can actually arrive at the same intent in different ways so that would that's what i'll leave you with look for the positive intent absolutely absolutely love it absolutely love it folks can find the book on amazon next generation safety leadership from compliance to care i've got to tell you i always love it when i when i go in there and i do see it, the books together and anytime i yeah. see yours up in number one and i'm kind of i'm like yes i love it because i think that's a sign we were talking about this kind of overall reformation that is kind of happening in this space where you're just, even if you go look, you just browse through at any given time at those kind of top, top 50 or so safety books, the vast majority of them you're seeing are kind of in this vein, almost all of them, which is, which is great to see. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always rooting for that. I would encourage folks out there to go pick up this book. It is a phenomenal read. And then as you mentioned, just consulting, right? So I'm sure you guys have a website out there. I'm sure you can find that Google uh, through Google, through uh, um, LinkedIn. I was was about to forget what LinkedIn was. (laughs) Through LinkedIn, you can find Clive on LinkedIn at Clive Lloyd, right? Uh, And you guys do stuff globally, right? So you're all over the place. 
folks needing kind of help yeah. with, with anything in that kind of space, I'm, I'm nearly certain. Um, and so make sure you check that out. And anything else, anything else that I missed? <laughs> I think you covered that good. beautifully. <laughs> well, thank Thanks you. Thanks for doing you that again. expediently. Yeah. <laughs> thank you again for coming welcome. on, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah, this has been a blast. And so this was number three, and we'll get uh, number four one of these days in the near future as well. Well, what did you think about it? That was Clive Lloyd. Man, what a what a conversation. Just chock full of tons, tons and tons and tons of little practical nuggets that you can just take back to your organization right now. Take back to your work world and just work on some stuff. Again, make sure you check out Clive's book. Make sure you follow along with Clive on social media as well. And again, for any resources or a little bit of help with human and organization performance, head over to thehopnerd.com. That's all I've got. Until next time, Sam Goodman, The Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.